podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast presented by Harry Eade, Sam Sage and me, Ben Hocking. Brazilian Grand Prix preview, or sorry, Sao Paulo Grand Prix preview to give it its official name this year. It's the Brazilian Grand Prix. Is it? I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. Why is it not called, are we banned from saying Brazil? What's wrong with Brazil? I don't know. I don't know. I might have got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, technically. Regardless, we're going to Interlagos, and there aren't many races to go left in the year. That's all you need to know. And also, the Max Verstappen is going for three wins in a row as he closes in on his first championship. Got a stacked podcast, as ever, ready for you this evening. Most notably... (laughs) Most notably... (laughs) Valtteri Bottas... Valtteri Bottas. So, Sam, you would have you made a prediction <laughs> earlier in the year that Valtteri Bottas would never win another race again. Yeah. And today you finally pay the price for that wrong prediction. You will be saying nice things about Valtteri Bottas to close out the show. Are you looking forward yeah, to it? Yeah, it's costly. It's costly. It's going to hurt, but I reckon I can find a few things that I think are just wonderful about about the big bodies. So, yeah, stay tuned at the end for personal torture. <laughs> I mean, I can't wait. I, I, I can't wait. It's going to be great. And, and Harry, before we start, is your boiler okay for us to go <laughs> ahead with this recording? <laughs> boiler, oh, are you okay? For, for context, folks, yeah, before we started recording today, we always have a little chit-chat because, you know, we're best mates and all that, so we do just like to laugh at each other. And me and Ben are sat here going, who's printing something? <laughs> Harry's boiler is that loud in the other room that we can hear it making noise. If you no, do no, hear no, no. someone faxing... Sorry, where is it? The boiler's in the same room. It's in a cupboard. Just by, just by me. They can't see where I'm pointing, obviously, because it's a podcast. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, the... The podcast behind me, but I'm Jesus. This podcast is behind me, but <laughs> boilers behind me, folks. <laughs> Made folks, a noise. Basically, like what we're saying, what we're saying is, if you hear someone faxing like it's 1986, it's actually Harry's boiler. <laughs> it's a really strong start, isn't it? I mean, to be uh, honest, it's par for the course at this point that it it starts in lunacy and doesn't really pick up from there. But we will try our best at least. As well as Sam saying nice things about Valtteri Bottas, we'll be having a look at recent Vettel comments uh, about midfield racing. Not what I'm really here for. Can we read anything more into those comments? Antonio Giovinazzi was fairly vocal in his displeasure at the end of the Mexican Grand Prix with his team strategy. So we'll discuss that one later on. But we will, of course, start with the Brazilian Grand Prix coming up this weekend, previewing that one. So Max Verstappen takes a win at the US Grand Prix in Austin. He takes a win at the Mexican Grand Prix. So looking for three in a row. And quite crucially, he has the opportunity to go more than 25 points clear. And the reason that's an important figure is that suddenly a DNF might not matter in the remaining races. He could still win the championship. So Harry... What are your thoughts on this one? Do you think how important do you think this race is for Max Verstappen, given he can reach that milestone target of twenty-five points clear? I mean, yeah, I think it's as important as as the last two have been. To be honest, it, it, this year has been so tight. I know we've spoken about, you know, is it swinging Verstappen and Red Bull's favour here? But you know, you look back to earlier in the year when he had that thirty-point barrier. Let's be fair. He lost it in kind of unlucky circumstances, particularly in Hungary. Um, but that 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 thirty point barrier really cushioned and meant that he was still in the fight, even though he didn't score at Silverstone and scored about two or one point uh, um, in Hungary. So two awful races for him, and he was still very much in the fight and only just behind Hamilton. So having that twenty five point, having a twenty five point barrier uh, again, will be hugely. You know, good, good for him. Good for Red Bull because 
not that they want to take risks, but they know that they've got that cushion. So say the next race, he doesn't even score a point and Hamilton wins. They would they would still be, you know, still be level unless Hamilton gets fastest lap. Anyway, you know what I mean? They'd be very close still. Um, so yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be in the back of their minds, but I think they, they treat this as any other, any other race weekend. And, you know, um, do we get extra points this weekend? Because it's sprint, sprint. We do indeed. Ah, so we could could he go further than twenty five? Yeah, could do. Yeah, so you know, um, yeah, but like I say, I think they treat us as any other race weekend. It's not about they won't be thinking. It won't be their aim is just to get the twenty five point, just to get that gap up to twenty five points. They'll just be thinking about going for the win. I'm absolutely sure, but I'm sure it will have occurred to them that having that barrier will be a a nice little cushion to have going into the final three races. Sam, how important do you think it is for him to reach that threshold? I think this race is the deciding factor. I think if Max Verstappen goes on to win this race, then it's completely game over. I said the championship was done back in Austria. I stood by that. I've been proven currently right. It's nice to be getting one thing right out of the stupid predictions I've made this season. The other one, again, I pay the price for later on, so do stay tuned. Um... Yeah, I think I think this is the uh, the, the deal maker for Max Verstappen and Red Bull. I think they get this right. Perez backs him up. I really think that this is where the tides completely turn. I I think that Hamilton has put up a pretty valiant effort, despite a few un- unlikely mistakes from Hamilton. Um, the Mercedes hasn't been fully up to scratch, and I think that he's made a few mistakes himself. And I think that that's meant that a slightly superior Red Bull behind a pretty flawless Max Verstappen has allowed them to have this advantage. And I think. The, the, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, as we're suddenly calling it, is um, is a very happy hunting ground for the Red Bull team. Despite Mercedes' dominance over the past few years, Red Bull always seem to go incredibly strong around here, and I don't think this year will be any exception. Um, power, you know, engine power doesn't really tend to make too much of a difference here. The only major straight being the start-finish straight, and it's very, really not that long in the grand scheme of straights that we've got around the calendar. So I think that Verstappen here has got a great chance of taking things home, especially in the sprint race as well. I think it's going to be three extra points possibly going his way, especially if Perez can back him up. And I do think that the 25 with a uh, fastest lap is highly possible. With only three races to go, I really think that all he's going to have to do at that point is make sure he's right next to Hamilton after this. I think this is going to be a very happy time for the Red Bull crew. Yeah, I think this is this weekend's very important for the reason that, that you've stated there. I think 25 points, or I guess 26 points as it should be, is an important threshold to meet because it just takes away that added pressure um, from potentially that last race in Abu Dhabi if they know that the championship is actually sewn up prior to that point. You know, they can make uh, Saudi Arabia the decider rather than Abu Dhabi, and obviously they'll want it wrapped up as soon as they possibly can. If they can extend that championship advantage here to over 25 points, to over 26 points, it means that they have some leeway when it comes to the next two Grand Prix, which are complete unknowns. You've got Qatar and you've got Saudi Arabia. You know, Qatar is a brand new circuit on the calendar. Saudi Arabia isn't even a circuit at the moment, so that could spring a surprise. So they'll want to to make sure that they've got everything under wraps prior to that. So if they know going into those two races, actually they only need to win one of those two, that alleviates a lot of pressure from them. And I don't necessarily think their objective of winning the race and their overall mentality, I don't think necessarily that will change given the circumstance, but it's good to know from Red Bull's side. I think overall as well, you know, Max Verstappen has won this race before. He was the last winner of the Brazilian Grand Prix back in 2019. No race there in 2020. So that should give him a bit of confidence as well. And really, this this ties back into when you're leading a championship, you want to eliminate as many variables as possible. You know, whether that's weather related, whether that's, you know, a different format, whatever it might be. You just want to get rid of anything that could spoil your afternoon. If you know that on your day you have the fastest car and you are the fastest driver, you want all other variables to be equal to make sure that that nothing's getting in the way. You know, Max Verstappen definitely backs himself in wet conditions, but given his state in the championship, he's not going to want wet weather because it's just an added element that could mess things up for him. So really using that in terms of circuits Brazil is a known quantity the next two aren't so I think if he can extend that to 26 points or more go 
win one of the next two after that and suddenly you don't have a championship decider to deal with in Abu Dhabi. That's the ideal scenario. That's why I think it's pretty important for Verstappen this weekend. Be interesting to see how he gets on. Speaking of things that could ruin your afternoon, that's us three crossed straight off the list, isn't it? No chance. I mean... Make you miserable. Yeah, it's what we do. Specialists in making people miserable. It's the, it's the fax machine back. <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> I can hear it. It sounds like you've got an industrial printer back there. Let, let's just let's, let's keep things quiet. Let's see if the, the listeners can actually hear this. That is Harry's boiler, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Why is it a friend of the podcast? Harry's boiler is a good friend of the podcast, and I have got exclusive uh, news that it doesn't know it yet, um, but it but it will do. And then any, if any of you come at us for poor content, honestly, I don't know what you're talking about. This is this is top quality. Top no, this tip. is po- podcast 159. And we just made you listen to our... Uh, sorry, my boiler. <laughs> Honestly, thousands of you listen to every single one of these episodes. I don't understand why. We just made you listen to a boiler. <laughs> you just said, I don't. I, I don't. I don't listen. <laughs> I, why would you? Why, why would you even consider it? Um, you have referenced already, Harry, that there are going to be a few additional points available this weekend. And that is because of sprint qualifying. Uh, the third time we've had it this year, so it came in in Silverstone, had it again at Monza, and this is the third and final uh, race where we will have sprint qualifying this year. Uh, we have, of course, previously discussed the benefits and drawbacks of sprint qualifying, or as I like to call them, the drawbacks and drawbacks of sprint qualifying. Um, and for the sake of my blood pressure, again, we're not going to go over this now, but we will at least discuss what the teams might think of this. Do you think that this is what Mercedes need right now, given that the Constructors' Championship is fairly close, but actually Hamilton needs to make up a bit of ground? Do you think it's do you think it's good for Mercedes that this is here right now, Harry? Um, I, I think it is. I think they need something to, to 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 disrupt the run of form that Red Bull are having. I mean, they gave it a good go in Quali in Mexico, um, but they didn't convert into a race. But obviously now points are on offer for this. Quali, yeah, I'm doing air quotes there, folks. Um, so I think, yeah, I think this is they need things to disrupt, especially uh, as you already mentioned that this is a, you know, a Red Bull, a good Red Bull track. So I think something that disrupts the norm is is good for good for Mercedes. Obviously, it can backfire, but I guess at this point they might say, "What well, what do we have to lose?" I guess a one point lead in the constructors, but um, you know, it's super tight, and I think under normal circumstances, there may be. Um, maybe Red Bull it's an easier weekend for Red Bull basically so yeah I think Mercedes will be looking forward to having this this weekend and also maybe slightly safe in the knowledge that Verstappen's never finished a race when we've had a sprint quality so could make it through on the bounce very true very true I mean true. Hamilton didn't finish one of them either but <laughs> true yeah haven't picked up on that 0 of 2 in terms of sprint race weekends for Verstappen Probably going to hope for a hope for a turnaround in fortunes there. Sam, what do you think? Do you think Mercedes? This is something they need to, as Harry mentioned, disrupt the Red Bull flow. Well, Red Bull had their own disruptor, Sergio the disruptor Perez, as we've quoted many times, and I think Mercedes need to inherit a little bit of this disruptive mentality. And then you spoke about um, variables, you know, things that they they could control. Sprint qualifying in many respects is still an incredibly new and different concept and it will disrupt planning they won't go into this brazilian grand prix yes i'm calling it the brazilian grand prix with their standard plans and practices that they would have expected to take backwards from 2019 2018 you know all the god knows how many other brazilian grand prix we've had especially if they've taken part in that data is only somewhat relevant there are, are a lot of differences now and we've seen how messy i think the right word is that sprint qualifying could be we've had incidents on every single one of them the two that we've had so far uh verstappen as we've already said not doing too well out of them so i think that there is a real chance that mercedes go incredibly aggressive they may be trying to cause some trouble for verstappen i wouldn't be shocked to see elbows out completely especially if it's hamilton verstappen because 
if Hamilton can get away with something and cause Verstappen to have a problem, that means he might start at the back. And that means that Brazil, which is... It's not the most impossible track to ever take around, but it's also not simple either. That could really cause some major points differences. Three points picked up for first place for Hamilton. No points starting for Verstappen. If Hamilton can then win the main race and Verstappen can only just get into the points, seventh, sixth, that's a brilliant swing for Mercedes. They need this to work. Do I think it's going to work for them? I'm not sure. I think Red Bull are going to be incredibly strong around Brazil here. So... It's going to be tough. Mercedes needs to give him the car. Hamilton needs to be properly on form. And Bottas needs to play ball. You know, we've, we've already seen the, the blames being thrown around about did he leave the door open too much in, uh, in the Mexican Grand Prix? Will he do the same again here in Brazil? He needs to be properly in line with the team. And when you've already lost one of your drivers to a new contract because they're not what you want anymore, theoretically, why would he be part of the team? What does it matter to him? So I think that Mercedes are really up against it with four races to go, and I think the sprint qualifying could really make or break things for their weekend. Yeah, I'll, I'll caveat what I'm about to say with the form book has been unreliable over the last few races. We've seen how strong Red Bull were um, at Austin, and we've seen some things in previous years that haven't quite replicated across to this year. However, having said that, at least on a format basis, you've, you've got to fancy your chances if you're Red Bull based on what happened last weekend. So we know in Mexico, uh, Mercedes were very strong in terms of qualifying. Uh, they got their, I believe, their first one-two of the season in qualifying, which is just mental to think. Um, that that's just mental, isn't it, based on the last few that years? Is, that is a bit silly. A bit silly. Yeah. Um, so they were very strong on the Saturday. But we saw on Sunday that Red Bull managed to regain that dominance. Now, if that carries over, and that is a big if to Brazil, then actually sprint qualifying isn't going to really help Mercedes because that just gives Red Bull more race time in order to make back any disadvantage that they might have in qualifying. If we see a similar incident where Hamilton or Bottas gets pole on the Friday, actually Red Bull have an extra 25% of a race in order to get that back on the Saturday before the main event on the Sunday. So if if your car is doing well in race conditions, spring qualifying is for you. Uh, but if not, if, you, if you're more centred towards being good in qualifying, actually having spring qualifying isn't beneficial. So again, big if, but if it follows the same pattern as Mexico, that doesn't bode too well for Mercedes. Having said that, I think you're right in what you say, Sam, where the variables is something that Red Bull wants to avoid right now, or particularly Verstappen wants to avoid right now. And Hamilton would absolutely love just to throw some extra things in there. You know, Verstappen's got a big lead. He needs some way to eat into that. The easiest way to do it is is carnage. Uh, and ultimately, you know, that, that, that could happen as a result of spring qualifying. So... Yeah, I think Mercedes should welcome it, even if it doesn't suit. You know, it's just that added element that might give them an advantage. We've seen that things can turn, and this isn't just related to this season, but F1 can, can turn in the blink of an eye from one situation to a brand new, brand new different one. That's why we love F1. Is that Glock? Is that Glock is the number one example, of course. But there's so many occasions where just one moment can completely shift everything. Think back just this year, Max Verstappen, as a few points have already been raised. You know, Hungary, an incident that wasn't his fault and he's completely out of the points. Silverstone, an incident where he was not deemed to be at fault, out of the points. Think of Azerbaijan, he's, he's coasting to a victory. Suddenly, puncture, he's out. It, it can shift just like that. So actually, another 25% of a race, if that happens again... It can happen at any moment. It's so unpredictable. Again, why we love F1. That's that's something for, for Verstappen and the Red Bull team to be concerned about. So I think Mercedes should welcome this. I'm just really excited to talk about Little Kubica. It's been too long. You are. That's, that's, that's going to need a reference point for anyone who didn't see the preview podcast for our last two sprint races. So, of course, uh, we usually do poll one, two, three. Um, but there is a slight debate over what is pole at a sprint race weekend. So actually, we have a mini pole, which we commonly refer to as Little Robert Kubica, who is, of course, Polish. Pole. <laughs> oh, it's it. bad. Do you, do you get it? Um, which is where that joke comes from. And we'll be there very shortly. We'll do bold predictions, first of all, though. So 
Um, we didn't have a very good week last week in terms of bold predictions. Not that that's a massive surprise. Um, mm. You both predicted things related to Verstappen and Hamilton crashing, which didn't happen. And I said that Verstappen and Hamilton would lap everyone, which didn't happen. Perez. They didn't get far off, to be fair. To, to be fair, they did a fairly good job of it, but... Give it a good crack. Perez was there, so sorry, Sergio. I, I under, underestimated your ability uh, at Mexico. But fresh set of bold predictions for the Brazilian Grand Prix. Harry, what are you going for? My bold prediction is that the the other big final championship, we've got Ferrari and McLaren. Uh, this weekend, there will be one Ferrari and one McLaren on the podium. Ooh. Oh, my Lord. One Ferrari, one McLaren on the podium. That's uh, that makes your pole one, two, three, or sorry, mini pole pole one, two, three. <laughs> Very exciting. Sam, your bold prediction. Uh, I think we will see both Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen on separate occasions going onto the grass and having to go for a little bit of a excursion. It will do one of those dramatic cuts where we're watching something, you'll see a little yellow flag appear in the bottom right corner and Brundle will go, oh, there's a yellow flag on the track. Oh, that's Hamilton, he's off! And he's bumping around over the grass and then like 10 laps later, it will cut and Verstappen will be doing the same thing. I just think the pressure might start to get to him a little bit. Uh, And just to clarify, both of those will happen in the race itself. Um, I'm going to say across the weekend, but not on the, the the Friday. So either during a racing period, which I think sprint racing is. All right, sprint race or race. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Uh, mine is. I'm going to get quite specific about my one, which is probably going to lead to it being very wrong, but I'll go for it anyway. And the good news is about my one this weekend. I know whether it's going to be true or not after the first corner. So. Oh, good. Um, my prediction is that Verstappen and Hamilton will be side-by-side going into the centre S's into the first corner, uh, and Hamilton will squeeze Verstappen to the point where he actually goes straight across the centre S's, doesn't do the second part of the corner, and Verstappen keeps the lead as a result of that, uh, and then he will get a penalty for it that will ultimately mean he doesn't win the race. Nah, come on. Are you writing a book over there? Because yep. if that happens, I'm calling it fixed. I'm, uh, I'm going specific. Also, if Hamilton okay. squeezed him off the track... Anyway. Well, we're at this, this track limits debate all over again. Also, think, yeah. we're also debating we're also debating stewards' decisions being consistent and fair. Exactly. Fictional, you know. fictional steward decisions. Anyway, I, yeah, I think Verstappen doesn't do the first few corners, keeps the lead as a result of that. Almost a Hamilton Mexico from a few years scenario. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's penalised for that, which ultimately means he doesn't win the race. The Fernando Alonso tactic. Yes. Known. Just skip it. Yeah. yeah, just skip it. And that does lead us on quite nicely to mini pole, pole, <laughs> one, two, three. So... Who's uh who's getting them in that order, Harry? Um Mini Pole is gonna go to Max Verstappen. Pole's gonna go to Lewis Hamilton, the win's gonna go to Lewis Hamilton, and then it's Carlos Sainz and Daniel Ricciardo on uh, P two and P three. What happens to Max Verstappen in your race? Well lots of things come to you two, so what? maybe it's one of the combined. <laughs> Love you, that. You can't attach yourself to our bold <laughs> predictions because they'll end up being wrong. Don't do it. No, no. I'm attaching. Maybe he'll bounce across the grass and get a 10 second penalty. Maybe. Maybe. Sam, what are you going for? Uh, mini pole, uh, little Kubitsa, goes to Max Verstappen. Uh, normal pole, uh, just normal Kubitsa, goes to Max Verstappen. And I think uh, one, two, three will be Lewis Hamilton will win. I think that um, Sergio Perez will be second. And I think Max Verstappen will be third. Ooh, so Sergio Perez finishes second. Max Verstappen finishes third. And they don't no, let it happen. orchestrate a... I, I think there's going to be too much of a gap due to going off track. Possibly. All right. Fair enough. Sergio, go 10 miles an hour for a lap, please. Sergio, crush the car. Sergio, did you see what Max Verstappen did to try and stop Bottas getting the fastest lap? Go that speed. Do, do that. Yeah. 
Lock up everywhere. <laughs> oh. Um, do, you think, do you think people are telling Mazepin that? And that's the problem? No, oh, he's just mm. being told to get out of clubs. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I forgot that happened. Oh, dear. Burn. Never mind. Um, mini poll. Little Robert Kubica, for me, is going to go to Max Verstappen. Sorry, Lewis Hamilton. I got the wrong way around. Lewis Hamilton. I think Max wow. Verstappen then takes the sprint pole, so uh, the actual race, uh, and then pole one, two, three. Uh, sorry, one, two, three in the race itself. Oh, so, this is a calamity! All right, mess of this one, boy. Uh, <laughs> are, are you following? So, <laughs> yes. Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, and then one, two, three in the race will be Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, and Sergio Perez. We've got a trio of Hamilton wins here. Yeah. It's not going to happen. That means it's not happening. Lewis Hamilton will now be last and Verstappen will end the championship here. I sometimes find it difficult to keep up with whether we are a biased against or biased for Lewis Hamilton podcast. So I guess this week we are biased for Lewis Hamilton. Um, but I love that it changes review, every week. That, uh, yeah. Folks, if you don't know, we, we hang a review given to us that we're incredibly Hamilton biased. And you know what? It's definitely true. It's definitely true. Every single week, we uh, applaud him constantly. But we're also anti-Hamilton as well. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. He is the worst driver in Formula 1, and he is a fraud, Morton. Yes, but he's also the best driver as well. He's also the greatest of all time. Yes, good point. Good point well made. (laughs) Should we move on? I hope we've we've appeased every single fan in Formula 1 in that moment. I think we have. I think we've suitably done so. Uh, and we're going to move on to Harry's favourite driver, which is Antonio Giovinazzi. Um, so we're going to talk about Antonio Giovinazzi now, Harry. Um, so don't go off and talk about a different driver, OK? Um, <laughs> Got it. So Antonio Giovinazzi has been having a bit, of, bit of a difficult time of it as of late. So his seat is the only one that's left to be decided. We know that Bottas will be in an Alfa Romeo next year. We know that Raikkonen won't be in an Alfa Romeo next year. But the question is, will Antonio Giovinazzi keep his seat or will he be replaced by someone else? And if so, who? So Antonio Giovinazzi, needing results, managed to get P11 at the US Grand Prix. He got P11 at the uh, Turkish Grand Prix as well. And then at the Mexican Grand Prix... He was in the points and ended up finishing P11. Um, So he's not exactly getting the results that he needs to, but he was as high as P6 in the Mexican Grand Prix before a questionable strategy let him down. So, Sam, first of all, what were your thoughts on a strategy that ultimately saw him outside the top 10? And secondly, what did you make of his response, his very sarcastic response to the team about the strategy over the radio after the race? What was it he said again? Something like, uh, oh, nice strategy, guys, or something like that. Wasn't yeah, it? pretty much. Um, That's clean. God. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I, abso- I absolutely love that from Gio, by the way. Absolutely sassing his way out of Formula 1, and I think that tells you everything. <laughs> um, firstly, I don't understand why Alpha would give him a bad strategy. I mean, they may just give him a bad strategy because they thought it was good and it turned out bad, but whether he's keeping the drive or not, he's still scoring points for the team. He's still possibly earning money for the team. You never know what might happen at the end of the season. That means you can move up or down a place and one or two or four or whatever points that he could have picked up could still be very important for the team financially at the end of the year. That doesn't mean he's going to keep his seat. I think they've already made their decision, really. Um... Giovinazzi, I think, is having his best season in Formula 1. Unfortunately, I don't think it's enough of a good season to make sure that he gets to keep his seat. Although I think, actually, um, Ben, in previous conversations, I think especially you have said that maybe it's worth having him in there while Bottas gets used to it and then doing a swap afterwards in the new era. I don't know. You'll correct me if I'm wrong, but we'll see. Um, For me, I think you just take a risk. I think Giovinazzi's proven he's only very average. I mean, he's obviously better than 99% of people behind the steering wheel of a car in real life, but... On that Formula 1 grid, which is one of the best I think we've ever seen, I think he is very, very average to low on the grid. Um, and I don't see why you wouldn't just take a risk. Alfa Romeo are unlikely to be a front-running side uh, going into the new regulations that we're going to see. Bringing someone that you think you could develop and nurture into a future talent in four or five years' time that's really going to be just the staple of Alfa Romeo racing uh, going into the future. Uh, let them learn off Bottas for a season. Giovinazzi hasn't learned off Kimi Räikkönen enough. He's had the time. He's had the chance. Um, yeah, I think I think Gio, come Brazil, I'd be surprised if it goes any further, will be announced to be out of the seat and they will replace him. 
Harry, what did you make of the strategy Alfa Romeo went with and also Gio's response to it? Well, it made me think about why why wasn't Roman Grosjean Rookie of the Year this year? <laughs> no. Oh, that's a great um, point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, serious point. Well, wasn't it? Anyway. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I agree with what Sam said. Um, I, I, I don't think they, he will be in that seat next year, and I've, I've said it already, um, as you may have heard. Uh, but, you know, that response, it could be... You know, he's not the first driver to be annoyed at his team for for a bad strategy. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that he already knows he's going. It could just be he's under pressure. But I think, in uh, all likelihood, it does actually mean he's he's on his way out the door. Um, and you know, he's pretty, pretty sick of finishing P11. And considering he was actually in a really good spot, as you mentioned, it's you know, he he may not have <laughs> held on to P6, but he's probably on for some points and. When you look at what Alonso and Vettel did with their strategies, it was a bad call by uh, by Alfa Romeo there. So um, yeah, and but I don't think that the team would have done it on purpose because what's the point in that? They need the points, they need the prize money. So um, yeah, it's a heat of the moment moment comment. Um, but yeah, I think it does signal that poor, poor Gio is on his way out the door, but he can go and do something else. He can go and flourish in another category. I'm I'm absolutely sure of it. So, um, yeah. But that obviously the the relationship between team and drivers uh, is a is a little tetchy, should we say, at the moment. I think first of all to look at the strategy itself. So he was P6 at one point in the Grand Prix, fell back fell back to P7, um, but he was holding P7 throughout that first stage in the Grand Prix before the pit stop that he he went through and he was essentially one of the first guys into the pits if you take out the the drivers that pit at the end of lap 1 uh, and ultimately it was it was them that really decided that the strategy wasn't very good because Giovinazzi came in and the Alfa Romeo team believed that Bottas and Ricardo would be on a pace that was superior enough to Giovinazzi that it wouldn't interfere with his Grand Prix at all. But of course, King Gio and all his pace, uh, he could keep up with Daniel Ricciardo and Valtteri Bottas. And that's why it negatively affected what he was doing. And these guys like Vettel, Alonso, Norris, they're all able to overcut what he was able to do. Um, first of all, it was a bit of a bold call to bring him in so early, just based on there wasn't a lot of overtaking going on. Uh, and also... The, the situation didn't really make any sense to do so. If, if you're if you're P12 or P13 and you haven't really got a lot to lose, fair enough. If you're outside of the points and you think, well, I might as well try something different to try and get in the points, fine. Makes sense. But Giovinazzi had a position to protect. It makes sense to actually play it somewhat safer in that scenario. It's not as if he was being hounded from the guys behind him in positions. Like It's not as if there was a train of cars like a second behind him, he had a fairly comfortable gap back to P8 and P9 respectively. So just play it safe. You know, protect against the undercut if they go and end up doing that. But you don't need to be the first one to go ahead with this strategy call. I don't think it makes any sense. So, and in all honesty, it's not the first time that Giovinazzi has been screwed over by bad strategy this year. So, and, you know, it's it's really disappointing from his perspective because... 11th place, 11th place, and he goes into this race weekend. Surely at some point he's got to put a result together. Looks like it's on the cards, and he finishes 11th. Um, The Esteban Gutierrez curse, as I like to call it. Gutierrez had a weird knack for finishing P11, so maybe maybe it's just the surnames beginning with G. Maybe Grosjean has that same curse. I don't know. Conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat on. Um, So the strategy itself... Don't think it was a very good one. And I think Giovinazzi had a right to be annoyed about it. So moving on to his reaction to the strategy. A very, very sassy uh, post-race comment from him. Pure sarcasm. And it's completely out of character for Giovinazzi. You know, it's not as like he is questioning the strategy every week. And this is actually fairly on par for what he does. I, we haven't really seen any signs of this from Giovinazzi to this point. So it was actually really interesting to see him be him be that way towards the team. I think the conclusion from it is that, first of all, if he was signed for next year, but even privately, he wouldn't make that comment. 
because he would know that there is still a year and a few races to go that he can prove himself. So he wouldn't make that comment if he was signed for next year. But actually, I'm not sure whether there is at least an argument to suggest that he has a chance still of securing that seat next year based on this reaction. Ultimately, yeah, it's been very frustrating for him. He needs results to show and to prove to the team that he deserves it. And he got he was very angry about what happened at Mexico. Would a driver that has no chance of getting that seat next year be so passionate about the missed opportunity? I think it's worth questioning at least. I think if he's if it's a done deal, he, he's out the door, maybe he doesn't respond in that way. Maybe he just goes, oh, you know what? It's not worth it. But if he has a chance and he knew that the the strategy of the team screwed him over, maybe he looks at it and goes, yeah, I am angry. Because if I got out there and got a P7, you might well be signing me for next year. Maybe it does prove he does still have a slight chance for next year. I don't know. It's a very good point, Ben. And and obviously one me and Sam hadn't thought of. But it's a good point. But it might be wrong. You know, he might just be a sassy G. That is how the the podcast tends to work. Sam and Harry <laughs> mutter some utter rubbish. Ben cleans it up. <laughs> they cook. Ben with the, the the mop man, just mopping up all the rubbish. <laughs> Come on, mop man. <laughs> right, I'm going to commission you to work on my theme song throughout the week. If that's all right, Sam. Yeah, sure. I'll get. <laughs> oh, jeez, I, I don't know why I even invited you to do that. It's a terrible idea. <sighs> so before we go any further, um, Beer 52, great friends of the podcast, clearly heard our first fantastic uh, ad read, so they're interested. Great friends of the podcast, and they know it as well. They are the largest beer club in the world, and getting ready for the Christmas period, you can get craft beer from them eight free beers plus an extra two free beers which if you do the math sam that's 10 free beers thanks ben <laughs> mr Statman over there did you know when we got the email through i thought it was the b52s you know the classic band that sang love shack and i thought are they gonna get us to maybe perform like new year's love shack parody songs you know the jingles that we do maybe in in new york or somewhere special but it turns out it's even better because i get free beers and you might get free beers if you follow this. So if you do want that, go to www.beer52.com forward slash late. I'm going to say it again because sometimes you lot moan about volume. www.beer52.com forward slash late, as in late breaking. Luckily, it's the late bit and not the breaking bit, which you all spell wrong as well. Um, and just cover the postage costs of £5.95. Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme. The themes are crazy. I've actually had Beer 52 personally myself outside of the podcast. We once got this strawberry beer, and it was surprisingly really tasty. So crack on with that if you get that. It's lucky. Uh, Usually, these beers are from a different part of the world. It comes with a magazine and a little snack. So you can have a little reading and munch on something while you have a a little beer. If you don't like dark beer, you can choose the light option as well. So everyone's a winner. (laughs) <laughs> that was wild. Um, I was going to say, uh, well, Sam's obviously had some beer 52. I've not. Ben doesn't drink beer, but they are gonna. the kind people at beer 52 are going to send us some beer. But right now we don't have any. But I imagine it tastes delightful. It is delightful. I cannot imagine. I've had it and it was absolutely delightful. <laughs> well, if there's one thing I know about you, Harry, is you never get anything wrong. So I can be fairly confident you're right with that. <laughs> great okay well folks you can pause or cancel at any time go i mean sam said this 15 times but go to www.beer52.com forward slash late if you didn't realize that already and pay 5.95 postage to get all of this now remember this month you can get two extra free beers which as ben pointed out makes 10 Let's, let's move on. Let's move on to Sebastian Vettel. So the four-time world champion uh, hasn't won many world championships as of late, uh, you might have noticed. 
Um, and he said something about midfield racing uh, this weekend that caught the eye. So uh, quote from him, midfield racing, it's not what I'm really here for. Uh, which I think is fair, and most people would probably agree on the grid, but it's an interesting comment nonetheless. He was essentially comparing it to the thrill of winning, it's just not being the same. Sam, do you think these comments perhaps indicate that if the car isn't up to speed next year, he might consider moving on? For a minute, when I first heard the quote, I thought he was talking about Midland racing, and I thought, you've got that wrong, Seb. It's been a while since they've been about We're all here for Midland racing. Yeah. yeah, that is the team I mean, we all know and love. Technically, he does race for Midland Racing. Yeah, that very true. Very true. Come on, come on. Big brain just, Sam over here. I was just making sure people who weren't alive in 2006 <laughs> knew what you were talking about. <laughs> Previous so all the fifteen-year-olds uh, and younger that do listen to the podcast look up the history of Aston Martin. Um, Hang on a minute. Right? Uh, so no, Aston no, Vettel. no. We can't move on yet. There are 14-year-olds that have never seen Fernando Alonso win a world championship. Oh, I'm going home. Oh, wait, I'm oh home. man. I'm sorry for this. Jeez. I'm sorry. Sorry. You brought up the one here. about Midland. Imagine how long I've been here. I'm the oldest one here. By 10 years as well. Fangio was winning yeah. when you were around, weren't you? Exactly. I'm 79. <laughs> um. Will be before you finish this point, but go on. <laughs> You're the ones that keep talking! Sam, get on with um, it, you know. So, <laughs> Midland F1. Go, Sam. Right, Sebastian Vettel, Midland F1. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of Sebi Vett, and I, you you know, most of the time I'll back him, but I'm going to be honest. Sebastian Vettel, mate, every driver on that grid wants to win, and I think it's a bit of a... I don't want to swear, so I'll try not to, but it's Thank a bit you. of a, a, a numpty comment, you know, in my opinion. It's a bit of a, it's a bit rude. Oh, every single driver wants to win a race or wants to win a championship. You have won four. And I think in the extended quote, he does say, maybe I'm a bit spoiled, I think. Yeah, you were spoiled because you were brilliant and you ended up putting yourself in, the, in a good car at the right time and you ended up dominating two seasons and fighting tooth and nail for another two and that's why you're in many people's top 10 of all time but you have had your time and you did have some other time as well right you did what are you shaking your eggs at now he's not in my top 10 anymore (laughs) oh yeah of course he's not Ben's got a top 50 list he's only just in that Um, that's not that's not true he is very comfortably in there P11 P11 yeah P11 just like you finish just like with Giovinazzi yeah Sassing, I strike you, Ben. Uh, strike, man! Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting as many as possible <laughs> this week. Oh, anyway, Sebastian Vettel has had more chances since he left Red Bull to win a world title. And a couple of attempts at Ferrari, which, you know, yeah, Ferrari weren't ideal, and the Sagas managed to get the car, and Hamilton pulled out some great responses. But Vettel also had that in control at one point or another. He didn't let that go. And a lot of his Aston Martin performances are down to him. You know, he could be doing more in that Aston Martin car. I think he could be putting out better performances. He has made some rather silly mistakes over the last year, 18 months. Uh, and this season, he's definitely including in that. Think of Silverstone, for example. Pulled out of the corner and literally, everyone else was fine. Why is he facing the wrong way on a dry track all of a sudden? You don't really expect that from a four-time world champion, yet he was doing it. So... Yeah, of course you want to win, Sebi Vet, and I love that you still want to win. I'm glad we're hearing that, but I think the way in which he phrased it and the position in which he sits in kind of says to me that he was just expecting out of a click of a finger that a fancy name like Aston Martin might all of a sudden win world titles. Um, do I think that he's going to leave the sport if he doesn't get that next year? No, I don't. I think Sebastian Vettel, despite having a little moan, absolutely adores motor racing. I think he absolutely loves Formula 1. I think he absolutely loves the challenge and being on the grid. So unless he just turns around and goes, this isn't for me anymore, I'm not bothered. I'm just not bothered. Then I would be shocked if that's the case, by the way. Um, But I don't think he will. I think he'll be here until he's kind of quietly said to in the year, come on, Seb, time, time to retire now. Um, he absolutely loves it he loves the history of the sport he loves everything about it he, that man is the most knowledgeable person on Formula 1 that has ever existed in Formula 1 for crying out loud he loves being part of this history and he loves being part of Aston Martin I believe um, I just think he I think he's being a little bit impatient I think he just wants it to happen now which is understandable but it's not realistic so stick it out you never know what the new era might bring I think he'll be here for at least a couple of years what did you make of his comments Harry? 
Um, yeah, I think it's quite indicative of, of maybe a slight frustration of where they've been um, performance-wise this year. I think when you know when he signed up for Racing Point, as it was last year, but obviously to become Aston Martin, that car was the quickest car last year. And, uh, you know, with with little rule changes, I think he was probably expecting more of the same and probably a few more chances to get podiums. I know he's got two, but he's got one legal one. Um, but you know, I think they were they were exceptional circumstances where he placed himself in the right right positions. But in last year, we saw that car probably had the pace to be on the podium a bit more often. So um, yeah, I think that's where where maybe the comments stem from. Uh, I think I don't think he'll retire next year if the car's not quite up there. I think it needs to be an improvement for him. If it's worse, or you know, maybe stuck in the midfield like talking regular p12 p13 area and maybe he does decide to call it a day you know he's got a young family etc he probably doesn't want to go risking his neck for for p12 p13 it's not worth it but i think if there is a step up next year in performance um then he'll stick around for for a bit longer to see to see the kind of project through because that's what he's taking on here a bit isn't it it's it's something different again to what ferrari was um and what red bull was so um yeah, but I, I I think that's where the comments stem from. It's just from what 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 the car's been like this year, to be honest. Yeah, I th- I find the career of of Vettel just utterly fascinating because it's so unique what he's gone through. Um, you know, if you look at other multiple time world champions, you know, you, you look at Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher. They follow a very similar career trajectory where. You know, Schumacher wins a couple of championships early in his career, has a period where he doesn't win anything, then dominates. Lewis Hamilton wins the championship early in his career, goes for a few years without winning anything, then dominates. Very similar pattern. Similarly, you know, Prost, Senna, they don't win for the first four, five, six years of their careers, then go into a period of winning championships and then go out on top with both of them, really, for different reasons, of course. Um and, and Vettel is so incredibly unique where he wins his fourth championship in just this sick full year in F1. It's it's an unprecedented amount of success that he had early in his career. And it's just completely tailed off. It's the only two drivers I can think of that are slightly similar to Vettel's career path are Fernando Alonso and Emerson Fittipaldi, where they've both had a lot of success early in their career and just haven't had that follow through. But I think in both of those circumstances, Fittipaldi and Alonso, it's not because of their own abilities that they were that they that they didn't win later in their career. Whereas Vettel has, as you've already mentioned, Sam, had chances later in his career. We're now talking about a four time world champion that is regularly outqualified by Lance Stroll, who has famously been a horrible qualifier. You know, Lance Stroll versus Sergio Perez in their uh, full season together. Uh, sorry, their first full season together. It was 18-3 in Perez's favour. Stop, man! Stroll, Stroll has out-qualified Vettel loads this year. It, it's just such a parallel based on where he was that I find his career just utterly fascinating. I think his comments, I understand why he's saying them. Because... In nearly all of these cases where teams are in a midfield car or a back of the grid car, they want to get to wins and podiums and they want championships. They've got that drive. They've got that hunger. They've got their bliss of innocence almost where they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what it will feel like to win a world championship. And that's what's driving them forward. Whereas Vessel is in a situation, again, similar to Alonso, I guess, where He's tasted victory before and he wants to get back to that point. So I can understand why the frills of the midfield just aren't the same for him versus what they might be for another driver. Because, you know, if I was to, and this is a very Sam Sage analogy here, but if I was to, you know, give you your first pizza in your life and it was a cheap one from a supermarket and I say, taste that, you'd go, wow, this pizza thing, this is great. I love it. If I was to then give you the best pizza in the world and then have you for your third pizza have the same one you had the first time out, you'd be like, oh, okay, well, actually, it doesn't taste as good anymore because I had that one last time and that was great. 
which is basically pizza wise exactly what Vettel's going through in that he's tasted the best pizza in the world he doesn't care about a cheap pizza anymore he might have enjoyed it in I 2008 but not in 2021 <laughs> I really want I'd a pizza love this. now I, Sam, this has been great. you're rubbing off of me in the wrong way, Sam, clearly. but I'm uh, so proud of you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think ultimately he his lens of seeing success, it just isn't the same as other drivers. And that's that's understandable, even if it does sound potentially insensitive for those who uh, who haven't got to the, the top of F1 like Vettel did earlier in his career. I think overall, will he stay in F1 long term? I think a lot of it is going to be based on what the car is like next year. My view is actually when they get to next year, if there isn't a, a sizable improvement, if he's still, if Aston Martin is still very similar to where they are this year, I think Vettel will ask himself two questions. Firstly, will this situation turn around in the next couple of years? Yes or no. And if the answer to that is no, can I get to another seat that's going to give me a chance earlier than that? If the answer to both of those questions is no... I think he thinks about packing it in. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, for the main event. As we referenced earlier, Sam made a prediction earlier in the year that Valtteri Bottas would never win another race. The Turkish Grand Prix came around. It was looking sketchy for quite a while, but the Turkish Grand Prix came around. He took the victory, which means, Sam, you are, in a word, wrong. And now you have to pay the penalty for being wrong. So as part of your punishment, you have agreed to say nice things about Valtteri Bottas. We, me and Harry have got no idea what these nice things are going to be, but we're very excited to hear you give praise to our Lord and Saviour, Valtteri Bottas. Folks, I'd like you to uh, settle down, pour yourself a nice, maybe a nice beer from Beer 52. and uh... Nice. I'm going to set the mood while I get into character to have to deal with this monstrosity of a punishment. I'm going to, I'm going to put some really nice, like, gentle, smooth jazz or something behind this. Yeah, I'd like some... Yeah, well, it, here we go. So in the, uh, the, the thing, dark streets of Paris, the Eiffel Tower is silhouetting against the moon, and in the corner of a smoky cafe, next to me is a, a warm camembert, which I can't eat because I'm lactose intolerant, <laughs> and, uh, as I've already said, and like beer 52 beverage which is quite exquisite i imagine um and we're here to discuss the best racing driver of all time yeah valtteri bottas correct <laughs> when i was but a young man and i used to daydream out the window of formula one and i always thought who would be the best racing driver of all time a uh, a face always appeared to me at the time i was unaware of who that face could be it wasn't michael schumacher it wasn't alan prost it wasn't senna no it was a blonde round-faced finished man and it turns out that he was indeed JJ Valtteri Bottas oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh I love that the pair of you just went in completely different directions Yeah, brilliant it was indeed Valtteri Bottas and then when Valtteri joined the sport and they were allowed to pick their own racing numbers he of course chose the magical 77 and at that moment in life I fell in love with the number 77 to the point where I was once born on the 10th of March 1995. I have changed my date of birth to the <laughs> 77th of March 1995. <laughs> or is it the greatest cover? Wait, you, wait, you could have of... changed this in 1977, but instead you changed <laughs> the date to the 77th. <laughs> Makes complete sense, sure. <laughs> Once I've changed my birthday, I can never ache for I will forever appreciate Valtteri Bottas because this date doesn't actually exist. It's that good. Uh, but it can't exist for it will be spoiled. Spoiled just like the many, many batches of Quaker's Oats porridge that I now place on my shopping list every single week. And I do so, of course, because of Porridge Valtteri 97.3 version rebooted Mega Man. The best man to ever eat porridge. The only man that should ever get to sample new porridges is of course Valtteri Bottas. What a taste that that man has. And he's expanded that taste in my senses unprecedentedly whilst going to Mexico and eating tacos like no man has ever eaten tacos before. Now, it's tacos and porridge every single day. And I will never want anything else. Something else I've also learned from the once great Valtteri Bottas. That moment in Germany 
This is so hard. We're back in the cafe. Back in the cafe, everyone. Something I've also That's learned from the the brilliant the brilliant Valtteri Bottas is once in Germany, where he let pass Lewis Hamilton, who was you know. Valtteri was just letting him through for the, the title because he's just so gracious. And since then, I have modelled myself entirely on Valtteri Bottas and his gracious ability to let people through. So whenever I go for a stroll, whenever I'm anywhere in public, I will always let someone come past me without any form of fight, any form of resistance, because, of course, they should be in front of me. Because it's just gracious. It's just right. Because I am the, the immobiliser. I am the, uh, the motivator. Just like... Our Lord and Saviour, Valtteri Bottas, the man that should have won so much more, but he's just too good for the sport that we know and love. The candle is out, the evening is done, and my love for Valtteri Bottas grows on, but uh, for now, we shall have to wait for the next time. Thank you, Valtteri. Thank you. Enjoy yourself. Sorry, sorry, Ben. I was going to say thank you so much for that. Um, Sam, you called yourself the immobiliser. That's what you have in the car. <laughs> 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 I never said it was going to be good. No, it's a good thing you didn't as well. Um, I tried. I, that was I, like a nice bedtime story, to be honest. It was, actually. That, I appreciated it greatly. That's how I go to bed every night. Do you do you have a favourite win from from the great Bottas? Um... Ah, oh, it's got to be one at Russia, isn't it? Really, all of, all of them. <laughs> all of them. I, I guess your point in that is that he's so good at the Russian Grand Prix, you you can't even pick one of his wins because he's got multiple. I mean, I'm actually I've got tickets booked to fly to Russia, where I'm going to advocate that he becomes the. Um whatever the leader's name is of Russia. I don't know if they have a president. Bottas yeah. for king. Tsar. Bottas for Tsar. Tsar <laughs> Bottas. Following in the footsteps yeah. of Nicholas II. Absolutely love it. And Tsarina. And Tsarina. Russian revolution banter to end the podcast. What more could you ask for? Um, Baba Bottas king. Russia's greatest racing driver. But he's from Finland, so shove it. The good news is, the good news is that song's over. But the other good news is, that is it for you, Sam. Oh, hang on a minute. It isn't. That's only 50% of your punishment, I'm afraid. Uh, There is another stage to it where Sam is going to do something utterly ridiculous based on a poll that he's going to put in our Discord chat, which, of course, you can... Uh, you can find the server in the link to this podcast. Get involved in that when that link goes live. Um, but this isn't it for him, basically. <sighs> Sorry, mate. I'll tell you what, Harry. It's a good thing we don't do forfeits for every time you're wrong. Well, there wouldn't. Uh, we'd have I to do a new should. podcast. Exactly. Like a separate podcast. I'm still, I'm still waiting for you to punish me for saying Daniel Ricciardo was going to win the 2018 title. To be honest, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, you know, Charles Leclerc winning the 2019 title, as Sam predicted, <laughs> that that took some heat Shut off. Shut up, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've demonstrated our ability to get things wrong, and Sam, you've developed a fantastic storytelling uh, approach for Valtteri Bottas. Thank you for that. Um, if you wouldn't mind for this podcast getting us out of here folks I hope you join me on the journey through the uh, the dark streets of Paris there while we <laughs> praised our king Valtteri Bottas uh, and I hope you enjoyed the preview podcast for the Brazilian Grand Prix of course we'll be back after the race on the Sunday for the review let's hope it's a spicy one let's hope we've got a lot to talk about please join us there if you're interested in seeing a little bit more of us before then, head over to Twitter, at LBreaking, where we'll be tweeting all the way through the race weekend, as always. And, of course, go to the Discord, where there's over 200 and something people in there who are all absolutely massive F1 fans and talk about it every single day. They're all rather lovely. Uh, but in the meantime, I've been Valtteri Bottas. I've been Ben Hocking. I've been Rasputin. And remember, <laughs> keep breaking late. Mothman! Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.